You ready for some word today? Amen. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, please get it out and, and find the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're not aware or familiar, we've been uh, teaching a series. If you're new with us today, we're glad you're here. You're, you're, you're sliding in on part 7 of a series. All right? It'll still be good. It stands alone, but it's also connected to parts 1 through 6. If you're interested in those, and I think you are, whether you know it or not, uh, you can go on our website and listen to those for free. I mean, what are you going to put in your headphones when you're going for a walk? Going to the gym or driving, or, you know, driving down the road? What are you going to listen to? Something that's going to help you or something that's not? I think this will, I think this will help you. So, uh, this series is called A Whole New World. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Uh, behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Praise God. I, I like the easy to read version. It says, when anyone is in Christ, it is a whole new world. The old things are gone. Suddenly, everything is new. Now, this simple passage, this, I don't know, seems easy to understand, is a lot deeper than many of us have recognized. And it is, to be honest with you, a little challenging for the religious mind to... I'll pause for a moment so we can stop the humming. Uh, uh, for the religious mind to grasp and embrace. If you've been a, a Christian for a long time, uh, and depending on how you've been taught and what scriptures have been emphasized, this might bug you a little bit. I know I've already bugged a few people <laughs> over the last several weeks, and I'm happy to do that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not my desire to offend anyone, but if, it, if you're offended at the word, I'm not taking it back. Uh, but seriously, judge things by the scriptures all the time. The language used in here, the reason it's difficult for some to embrace is because it doesn't let us hang on to our guilt and our old life and, and, and believe about ourselves that we're a big fat mess. Uh, it states positive things. All things new, all things of God. Your whole world has changed. And that all happened in an instant. In a moment, you don't work your way into salvation. You don't earn your way to God. You don't, you do, you know, you don't come to church long enough and then you'll go to heaven. All this happens instantaneously by faith in Jesus' finished work. And God puts all of it into us in a moment. Now, the challenge is, is we don't know it. Okay? We know. I received Jesus. Can you explain that? No. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? When you first get saved, you don't know. It's like, yeah, I'm forgiven. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you can't really explain it, but that's why we teach and learn and grow so we can have a grasp of this. It's, uh, when you get saved, you know, a new creation is different than a new perspective. 
I don't want to define what I'm doing as, hey, come to church, let us help you have a new perspective on life. Well, yeah, I have a different perspective, but that's just minimal compared to the fullness of this. It's not just, well, you get saved and now you have a new Sunday schedule. <laughs> no, this is deeper than that. That might be true as well. Uh, it's not just a new vocabulary. Now I speak Christian. Yay. I say things like hallelujah. Amen. And I stop, you know, using some other words. <laughs> well, again, that might be true, but again, you're just skimming the surface. This is so much more than this. I want to pose the question, a simple question today, and that it, it goes like this. Who are you? Who are you? If, I, if we had, couldn't even see each other and we were to talk on the phone and maybe it was a, some type of phone interview and I said, well, tell me about yourself. Who are you? The, the common way that we would begin to explain or describe ourselves, for many of us it would be similar. We would say things like, I came from here, I was born in this country, this state, my parents are these people. Um, I, we might talk about our ethnic, ethnic background, our gender, our previous employment, our, you know, our occupation. Uh, if you're a parent, you might say, I'm a father of three, or I have grandkids, or, or whatever. I'm married, I'm not married. I have these physical characteristics. I'm you know, six, five, just talking about myself, six, five, 250, solid as a rock. <laughs> uh, or whatever, uh, we describe, you know, our hair color or those types of things. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying these things are not true, but I want us to get a perspective that's different when asked, who are you? that our answer is a little deeper than that. If you, if you would turn over just a, a short bit here to Galatians chapter 3, just uh, very close, Galatians chapter 3, and I wanna, you, want you to notice one verse here. Galatians 3 and verse 28. It reads, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice the emphasis is taken off of some things and placed on something else. Okay? We have an, a great church. I'm happy to be a part of this church, happy to pastor it and associate with lots of different people of various ethnic backgrounds and cultures and languages. And uh, I just think it's cool. I've asked how many people speak multiple languages. And there's all kinds of languages. And, uh, and I wish I knew them. <laughs> but, you know, skin tones and backgrounds. You know, this is definitely a place where uh, anyone and everyone can be welcomed and feel at home. But at the same time, I want to emphasize that's not the most important thing. I'm happy that it's so, but it's not the primary issue. It is, 
It is, it is not the most important thing in life. The goal of God is that He would gather from all nations a people and make them one in Christ. Everybody with me today? Too many times we put the emphasis on uh, natural things, some of them in my list there, even I noticed this some time ago. I was, I was considering the, you know, the, the usages of, of language in Scripture. Often you hear, you read sons of God, and, and sometimes, you know, we're, as preachers, we want to be inclusive, so we want to add in like, you know, that counts the daughter too. You know, because we're not wanting to, people to feel. But then when I looked at that, uh, and I was looking for scriptures, I, was, I searched out, I thought, where does it mention daughters of God? And I couldn't find any verses. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> it's like I, I have a friend, and he, one time I heard him he, preaching, and he, he said something to the effect of, he was talking about, you know, our spirit man, which is fine language, and then he said, he, then he said oh, oh and, and our spirit woman, you know, to include the, the ladies. And I, when he said that, I thought, that sounds funny. <laughs> and I talked, I said, well, why'd you say it like that? He's, you know, he was explaining us. I thought, well, how come the scriptures don't use that language? Okay. It's not to say that there aren't men and women in life. There are definitely men and women. That's a powerful message these days, right? <laughs> there are both men and women in life. It doesn't mean there are not, uh, you know, Jews or Greeks or other ethnicities. Yes, that's true in life, in this life. But when it comes to spiritual matters, that's not so important. And that's why in the scriptures, you read about sons and daughters, it refers to people. Our sons and daughters. When, when, you, when you talk about God, he doesn't mention it in the gender sense. He talks about sons of God and it's not referring to males. It's referring to his children. Right, And there's not that other language used because in the Spirit, that's not what's important. Right. Everybody with me today? Yeah. And, and, and that's why when, when, when I say, who are you? I want a definition. I want an understanding of my own self that goes beyond those descriptions. Right. Yes, they're true and relevant on some level, but not in here. Yeah. What I mean in here, in the body of Christ. In the church of God, he emphasizes that we are all one in Christ. It's kind of like the, the, the emphasis some people like to place on our differences. They say, our differences make us stronger. No, actually, the opposite's true. Those are people that have the most challenges is when they're different in, in doing anything together. It's our unity that, that, that makes us strong. It's when we're one in Christ. That's what brings us together and makes those differences kind of secondary and in many cases irrelevant. But we are one in Christ and that's why I've got to have that understanding and definition. When, when Paul, who wrote these books and wrote the book of Philippians, described himself, he was stating all his you know, accolades and said, I came from the right tribe, and I was born in the right place, and I had this education, and, and, and you read about it, Philippians chapter 3, and, and then he said, but I count all this as loss. Yeah. He, he said, I, I count this as dung right. compared to the excellency of knowing him. Right. 
So he put it in its place. Yes, this is my heritage. This is what I've earned. This is my, my past, my accolades. But I just want to know God. I just want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And, and if we become defined then by spiritual eternal matters, it sets us up to succeed. It sets us up to have good relationships with one another and we can be in God's plan. Even in, in, in Jesus' life, he had the challenge that some of us have, but uh, it was pretty blatantly wrong when, when speaking of him. But individuals would refer to Jesus, speak about Jesus, speak to Jesus in ways that were demeaning and degrading and put him down. Okay? When he went to his own hometown, he was just referred to not as man of God, not as anointed by the Spirit of God, carpenter's son. And basically they were saying, you're never going to do anything great. You're not special. There's nothing special about you. Um, he was accused by others. There are usually religious people doing this, but he was called a, a wine bibber or a drunkard. He's just a drunk. Yeah, whatever. But that was real. That was what he was dealing with. Uh, others called him crazy. They said, you're out of your mind. You are woo-woo. That's what they said about Jesus. Others said he was, he was possessed by the devil. These are the accusations. Okay. But Jesus didn't get his identity from these people. He found himself in the Word of God. He found what, what his father had spoken about him and that is how he defined and described and viewed himself. And thus his life and ministry came from that position. Amen. Just like Jesus found himself in the word, you and I can find ourselves in God's word. And I'll show you how we're going to do that in a, in a minute. But it's really important. There's, a, lang there's a, a phrase that we commonly use in our church. Other churches do it too. Uh, it's a biblical phrase called in Christ. All right. Variations of that are in him, through him, by him. The him, the capital H, refers to Jesus. In Christ. The, the contrast to that phrase is another one that's used less frequently, but it's nevertheless there. It, it, is, it goes like this, in Adam. Basically, all people are either in Adam, or they are in Christ. You say it another way, all people are in Adam until they become in Christ. Amen. Here's the verse that references that, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and it reads, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. In Adam... What's the result? Death. In Christ, if a person comes in Christ, they are all made alive. Now, without using that phrase, I think in Adam is how most Christians view themselves. And that's kind of frightening because it's not who we really are. But if you are spiritually alive... Another way to say that is you are in Christ. Now, let me kind of explain that phrase. Some of you know this. It's elementary, but 
this is uh, the most powerful stuff, okay? In Christ is a, is a phrase that refers to our positional standing with God, okay? It means, uh, it means that we are defined by who He is, okay? It, 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 uh, it means that we possess what He possesses. It means that we can do what He can do. It references His resurrection and how we are like Him in His resurrection. It's all that Jesus accomplished when someone is said to be in Christ, all those accomplishments get accredited to us. So it's, it's really, really big. Um, listen to this, Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are what? His workmanship. Now that's not talking about the creation of our bodies. It's not talking about I was born and God made me. This is talking about salvation. It's talking about when someone receives Jesus, they become His workmanship created in Christ. That dude didn't exist before. Okay? That person was created when I said, Jesus, I make you my Lord and my Savior. I was created in Christ. Everybody with me today? Amen. Okay. Amplified reads, for we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew. I'm his workmanship. I'm his handiwork. New Living reads, for, for we are God's masterpiece. He has, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, so uh, he didn't fail. He didn't make a mistake. He succeeded. Amen. It's amazing. But when you were born again, if you have been, then in that moment, you were created in Christ. You're a species that didn't exist before. You're a, you're a workmanship of God. He, he, he used all of his creative power and talent and ability. Amen. Amen. I see some people looking down. Are you reading the verse or are you reading your phone? Hey, come on. So we're going to be out of here in a minute. You'll have like all day to do stupid stuff. Okay. Did I say that in a nice way? Oh, no. Okay. I meant it in a nice way. <laughs> Sometimes people want to go and find themselves. I think that's a good idea. Well, who are you looking for? Find yourself. Where are you going to find yourself? And here's where we should find ourselves. In Him. If you can find yourself in him. If you can become familiar with you. I want to get to know myself a little bit. Yes, that's a good idea. In Him. Then it will, it will serve to you as more valuable than anything else you could discover. I don't have any problem if someone wants to take the DNA tests and find out where their ancestors came from. I don't have any problem if someone wants to study their their personality and do these grams and do the, all these, you know, tests and, and 
you know, whatever, do whatever you want. But his, this, this far surpasses all of that. Finding who you are in him. Because you're no longer, if you're saved, in Adam. Now you're in Christ. What does that mean? Now, you wonder, if the average Christian, if we were to go out on the streets and find people, you know, and are you a believer? Yes. Tell me who you are in Christ. I wonder if, if you know, it would be, what do they say, crickets? People go. When it's the most important knowledge we can have when we get saved. And yet too many Christians, they can't even explain that, can't define that. And I want to repair that if that's an issue in us. Okay, I need to know me. Now, one of the things I told you in part two of this series was that the law of Moses served as a mirror to point out our need for a Savior. In other words, when people would read the law, they would see, there's something wrong with me. I cannot or have not fulfilled all these requirements perfectly. I'm in trouble, a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen. Right? That was the goal. That was, that was the purpose. Once saved, though, that is not how we use the book. Once saved, we switch and we have a new law, and it is called, the, in the book of James, the perfect law of liberty. Now our mirror looks different. It used to be I'd look at the mirror and go, <gasps> yikes, I need counseling. <laughs> I need help. I need God help me. I need, yikes. Now we are to look in our mirror, the new mirror, the perfect law of liberty, the new covenant, and I'm, we are supposed to see something entirely different. Okay? What are we supposed to see? I want to show you. We'll go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, and this one, again, if you can look at it with your own eyes, that'd be ideal. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. And notice with me, in verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It read, no, let me, let me, no, don't, don't read it yet. Look up, let me, I gave you the verse too soon, sorry. Ruin the punchline. Uh, let me just give you context real quick, okay? In the old covenant, when Moses got the Ten Commandments. He received the Ten Commandments from, from God. Remember, he went up on the mountain, up on Mount Sinai, and he spent 40 days in the presence of God. Okay? When Moses came down from the mountain, he was shining like a light bulb. The glory of God remained. It lingered on him. And when he spoke to the, to the people, the children of Israel, they couldn't stand it. They said, don't talk to us. Uh, don't, don't talk to us anymore. And in fact, Moses at one point put a veil over his face. I, I don't know, have you ever woken up in the morning or in the middle of the night someone flips on the light? Come on. Ah! That's painful, right? Well, this is the outshining brightness of God's glory. 
I tell you, none of us could look fully right now in this physical body into the full manifestation of the glory of God. If you were transported instantly in this body to heaven and standing at the throne of God, you would not be able to look. You would go, ah! In our new bodies, we will be able to. Moses came down. He had to put a veil in front of his face because he was glowing. He was bright. They couldn't look at him. Okay? And this glory that he experienced is contrasted, meaning it's not near as bright as what the Lord says is in us now in the new covenant. And in this passage, I just want to read one verse. I'll tell you what it is now. You ready? It's verse 18. It reads, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Now look at, that, look at that closely. He's saying, we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What does a mirror show? Not something else. The mirror shows me. If I'm looking in the mirror, what am I going to see? I'm going to see me. Yet too often people think the mirror, that is to show me what's wrong. Because that's how we use a natural mirror, right? You look in the mirror and you go, oh, yikes, fix your hair, do something. It, it kind of shows us what's off. This mirror is designed not to show us how we fail, how we come up short, how we're missing it, what's wrong with us. It's designed to show us the glory of God. Where is that glory? It's in heaven. No, it's in Jesus. That glory is in us. Yes. Imagine that now. Think about that. We're looking at a mirror and we're seeing the glory of God. <gasps> Whoa, where is that? It's in me. Amen. And this was God's design. He is now not showing us what's wrong. He's showing us what's right. Amen. He doesn't want us to be reminded of everything we fail in or come short in or, or my, our mistakes of the past, he wants us to look in the new perfect law of liberty and see Jesus in us. You, now you are in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are, have become new. That's the mirror we're supposed to use. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And so uh, this is what brings about transformation. This is not what brings about salvation. Salvation comes instantly when you receive Jesus. Make Him your Lord. Transformation happens when we look in the mirror. Romans 12, same transformation happens when our mind is renewed. That's really what part of this is. I'm looking into the mirror and seeing, Whoo, look at me in Christ. Good looking, strong, powerful. Flawless, holy, right with God, an overcomer. Yeah. How often should I look in that mirror? I probably ought to do that every day. How often do you look in a mirror? We don't want to admit. Uh, maybe it's a little bit too much. Then I take pictures, right? <laughs> look at myself some more. 
We're used to analyzing ourselves physically. You know, you ever go into a store and there's a mirror and you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you want, just making sure everything's okay. How often should we look in this mirror and be reminded and instructed of what the glory of God looks like in us? How will that change our mentality, our confidence, our approach to problems? Look at that world overcomer right there. Boom. Instead, we're often reminded, you're a rascal, you're good for nothing, you're full of problems, you're, you're, you're something wrong with you. When the Lord says, look in, the di- look in a different mirror. In this mirror, you will see the glory of the Lord, what I have done in you that you couldn't do for yourself. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm not implying that living the Christian life is effortless. Some have said that and I don't agree. It's just an effortless life. It takes effort to do this. This is a life of diligence. If we don't attack these things on purpose, we'll live a mediocre existence. I mentioned to you that the phrase in Christ and other like phrases are, are abundant in the New Testament. Dozens and dozens of scriptures, you'll find those phrases used. They're designed for a purpose, to work as the mirror for us. If I'm in Christ, then any time that phrase is used, that statement is true about me. It's not defining our physical. It's not defining our past or our mistakes. It's defining who we really are. And if I want to get to know me, I should know those verses. So I selected several of them so we could look at them together. And we could, make a, we could take the last few minutes here and actually do a little spiritual workout. Are you ready? Okay. Uh, I'll read them and then we'll say something from the verse together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 reads, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus. See that phrase, in Christ Jesus. Who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Let's say it out loud together. Say, I am am in Christ. Christ. He became for me me wisdom from God God. and righteousness, righteousness. sanctification, and redemption. redemption. So see, now now you see how this works? What's in the mirror? What do you see? Wisdom. (gasps) Mr. Wise right here in Christ. What do I see? Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. That's it. That's a good looking mirror. I'm going to look again. Okay. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now say it out loud. Say, I am am in Christ. Christ. Therefore, Therefore, I triumph in every situation. situation. Who, Who are you in Christ? Triumphant. Winner. Winner. Chicken dinner. Okay. <laughs> Winner. Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Say it out loud. Say one time. One time. I was far from God. Not, Not anymore. Now I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And so we are tight. We are tight. I'm close to God. Come on, is that true about you? Is that really true about you? Tell me about yourself. 
Brothers, sisters, tell me about yourself. Who are you? Here's one answer. Well, I'm really close to God. He said, well, I haven't been praying much this week. and I, I am really close to God because that's not based on what I've done. It's based on what he made me to be. I like that one. Some of you writing these scriptures down for your arsenal? You're creating your new mirror? Uh, Romans 5.17 For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Say it out loud. Say, I have received received the abundance of grace, the the gift of righteousness, righteousness. and I I reign in life. Yes, that's who you are. You reign in life. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Say it out loud. Say, no longer, no longer am I in darkness, I but I'm in His kingdom, in, kingdom. in the Son of His love. Of his love. I, have I have redemption through His blood, through his blood. and I am forgiven. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 2.24. You know it? Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we... And again, what's the phrase here? Who himself. Who himself. You can see it. It, That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And here's another one. By whose? By whose? That's the same as in Christ. By whose uh, stripes you were healed. Say, he took my sins in his own body on the tree, and now I live for righteousness. And by his stripes, I was healed. That's your mirror. What is the natural mirror? Well, it might tell you something funky. It might say, get yourself in bed. Take your medicine. What does your new mirror say? Righteous and healed. Right with God. And healed by Jesus' stripes. Yeah, Woo! Yeah. If you ever, can I take a side note? Can, you got an extra minute? Yeah. Have <laughs> you ever seen those uh, those things where people who have a uh, an unusable limb, some experiments they've done with people where they use a mirror? How, how many know when you use a mirror, it looks like the other side of your body is working? And because the brain gets trained by what it sees, that some people have actually regained usage of limbs by looking at themselves in a mirror. Because it tells their brains, you can move the other limb, and therefore the circuitry and neurons and all that stuff start reshaping and reforming. It's physiological. Those who are experts in that field will tell you that. And people have gained motion because their mind told them they could. And I think about this. This is what we're supposed to do. See ourselves in Christ. With the eye of our faith, with a spiritual heart, and envisioning who we really are according to God's Word. What does that enable us to do? Things that were previously limp. (laughs) That were previously unusable. Non-functioning. Now all of a sudden you find yourself with spiritual muscles. 
with wisdom, knowledge, ability from God to do things that you couldn't previously do. Amen. How'd you get that? I looked in the mirror until I believed it. Come on. I looked at the right mirror, the perfect law of liberty, until I, I, was, until I could acknowledge that it's true. Amen. And then it started working for me. Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Say, I am, I am in him in who him loves, me loves me more than a conqueror. Than a conqueror. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Come on, you know that one. Say it out loud. I can I do all things, all things through, Christ through Christ who gives me strength. First John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you that's Christ, right? Is greater than he who is in the world. Say, he's in me. He's in me. And therefore I can, therefore I can. Overcome, in life. overcome in life. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Say, all my needs, all my needs are, abundantly are abundantly supplied because I'm in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might become rich. Say, Jesus, Jesus. He, was he was rich. He became poor, he became poor. For, me. for me, so I could be made rich in Him. And then Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. In Christ. Say, I'm in Christ. In Christ. And, therefore, and therefore, blessed. blessed. With every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. I, already have it. I already have it. It's mine today. Woo, come on. Woo, look at that. So tell me about yourself. Well, I, I don't mean to brag, but I'm really blessed. <laughs> now, I'm not bragging because it's in Christ. Yeah. So there's no credit here taken other than we're giving Him glory. Amen. And we know He is glorified when we yes. do this. Yes. We're saying what you said about me is true. I'm going to believe that. More than I believe what people have told me throughout my life. More than I believe the, the, the guilt-tripping preachers. More than, more than I believe... More than I believe my own lack of success or, or failures of the past. I'm going to believe, Father, what you said about me in Christ. I'm going to just take you at your word. If it takes my mind a little time to catch up to this reality, then so be it. But I'm committed. The Lord's word about who I am in Him, that's true. That's true more than my family background, my country of origin. That's true more than my gender. That's true more than anything else. I am who He says I am. Amen. It doesn't erase those physical realities, those physical truths. I'm just saying this is more important than that. Hallelujah. Praise God. Everybody good? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for working in here right now.